why did you find a home in weightlifting and like what about weightlifting keeps your interest, keeps your focus and makes you want to not only compete in it, but also be a coach in it? Man, is that a softball? I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's, um, so my, I've always had a love for strength and conditioning. Um, I found it very early on in my athletic career. Uh, so I, I played, I played like all the sports growing up, like baseball. I played soccer for a little bit. Um, but my, my main sport growing up was wrestling, like through, um, elementary school, middle school, high school, um, into college. But I found strength and conditioning through wrestling and I liked the off season better because I got to spend more time in the gym than I actually did wrestling. And I, you know, anyone who's wrestled knows it's a fucking grueling sport, like not even like just practice and like wrestling and, and the in-season stuff but all the shit that comes with it like losing weight and and uh the training and strength and conditioning in season it's it's pretty brutal so, so it's, I, the the fact that you decided to go to college for wrestling like i did middle school and high school and i was like i'm done i'm tired of always being hungry always being pissed off always being tired that's exactly it man it's it's and I think that there's a lot of good things that, that came out of that in terms of like mentality and mindset around training, because it's not, it's not a sport that you go and play. It's a lifestyle that you live. Like if you're, you're not just wrestling, you're a wrestler, right? You're sleeping in class, spitting in a bottle because you haven't eaten all day <laughs> to make weight at like four o'clock or whatever it is. And it's like, you're a fucking weirdo in high school walking around with like three sweatshirts on. And it's, oh, and yeah you, you can't escape it so, oh exactly and like goodbye to any type of social life in high school goodbye to like I remember like during our seasons because we we were a co-op program so we'd have morning practice and then drive over to the next town to do our co-op practice and so waking up mornings wouldn't get home till 8 or 9 p.m Saturdays are completely shot. Hopefully you don't have a two-day tournament where it's Friday and Saturday. And it's like, <laughs> you know it, man, you know the lifestyle. And that's, so, I mean, at least where I grew up, probably the same where you're at is, is that you go to practice in the morning, you go to school all day, you go to practice in the afternoon and it's, you don't see daylight for like four months out of the fucking year. It's just like you're inside these hot wrestling rooms and going from indoor like artificial light to artificial light. So it's like that alone is like it's hard on your mentality for sure. Well, and there there was some points where our like one of our big things in the morning practice is we do Indian runs in the hallway. And so just that front person depends on it, whoever the leader was that day, if they wanted to be a dick or not, because they would set the pace. But the back person catching up and you know, they'll set the pace and we do that for 45 minutes to an hour and how we would change it up because the hallways wouldn't change. So how we'd change it up is we'd go outside during the winter. That. that was our change up. Oh shit. That's so funny, dude. Cause I was, dude, we did the same shit. We went to different schools, but you and I, we, you know, we were doing the same stuff and I was, I was an asshole of an athlete. Like I was, I was a good wrestler. I wasn't a great wrestler. I always had like a winning record. I, I made it to like the, you know, not the top tier, but like the one below that. Um, but my coaches fucking hated me. 
because I would like, I'd run with the heavyweights. I wouldn't do the shit I didn't want to do at practice. <laughs> it was like, I mean, part of it was because, you know, high school, like strength and condition, like they don't really know what the fuck they're doing. And neither did I at the time, but it's like, this is stupid. I'm not going to run for an hour when I wrestle for six minutes. Fuck this. <laughs> so it was like a, a lot of the like politics and stuff that come with sport that I really didn't like that, you know, kind of taking it back to your question is when I was in the gym, I didn't have to deal with that shit. Right. It's, and it was a very unguided process at first. I lifted with some of like the strength and conditioning coaches or um, my like first, my first lifting coach was basically one of my wrestling teammates dads and he was like this was like the the all-american like went d1 wrestled at penn he was like a really good fucking wrestler um i wasn't as good at wrestling <laughs> but i worked out with him and like there's like a group of us that would go in the gym and we do everything monday wednesday friday we would do the same workout three days a week and it would be literally fucking everything we'd start with like bench press and we do all shoulder accessory and then we'd make our way um to the squat rack and then we do our squat accessory and then we deadlift at the end and like do some core shit and forearm strength and call it a day and it was the same workout three times a week and eventually i ended up like there is there's a series of injuries like i broke my arm actually doing freestyle and greco oh shit so i probably that is what set me down the trajectory for weightlifting because for i was in like um I did a, a full uh, full break of my ulna, which is a less serious injury had I done both. I didn't need any surgery or anything. Um, but for about 12 to 15 weeks, all I did was legs, like leg strength, <laughs> leg press, like anything you could think of for, for your legs. And it was over the summer. Um, so after that summer, I was probably in like, I was probably like a junior, sophomore, junior in high school. Like my legs got significantly stronger because i did the same leg workout three times a week for 15 weeks um and then i ended up having i think it was shortly after i think it was my senior year i had like a pretty bad um si injury i don't i never got diagnosed or any of that stuff um so it's and that was from being in the gym so i ended up just like having like different injuries and stuff along the way um and we didn't you know, we didn't have any real instruction. It was just like the guy that told us to go do this shit. Yeah. Uh, so that's when I like went down you know, the rabbit hole that I'm you know, currently deeper and digging deeper every single day of like learning about strength and conditioning, biomechanics, exercise, um, all sorts of things like that. And that was, you know, that was basically my entire like college experience was me figuring out how I can, I started to be a personal trainer in college. Um, I, I just looked for as much information and like this was, I graduated high school in what, 2008. So like 2008 to 2012 was college for me. And this is like before Instagram and before like, you know, information was as readily available on like YouTube or Google searches as, a, as it is now. So it's like reading books, it's looking at magazine, like health and fitness or whatever maybe like you'll get a vhs every now and again what's that then maybe you'll get a vhs or a dvd <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> that's exactly what it was dude um and like i mean i guess it's, it's like a cascade of events that had me i, I knew that i loved you know i love the competition aspect the one-on-one -on -one competition aspect of wrestling i didn't love all the bullshit that came with it um and basically in the gym i found like I love getting stronger. I love learning about the process. 
Um, and I, at that point, I just didn't, I didn't know that weightlifting was a thing, but I wanted to find a way to, to compete with this, you know, love of exercise that I had. So like one thing led to another, I ended up like training for and doing a bodybuilding show when I was like 21 years old. Um, that was a way worse experience in wrestling. Did it's you like, go with the, uh, the speedo style or the, uh, the, uh, shorts? <laughs> oh, I went speedo, dude. It was like, <laughs> blue. oh man. I, I got these legs. I got to show them off. Exactly. It was, um, it was way worse than wrestling. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> I know that we have a lot of like bodybuilders that we work with through, through pre-script and I even work with in my chiropractic practice, but fuck, is it a douchey sport? <laughs> Where are these pictures? Please tell me they're on the internet somewhere. Oh, they're, they're on the internet. They're on the internet somewhere. Actually, I have a DVD with the pictures on it. Oh, <laughs> that one's staying safe at home. One, one day we can release that. And like, it's, it's funny kind of hearing about it because very, like, I think we had very similar trajectories that kind of brought us into the space because first off, wrestling experience was the exact same you know who I wrestled with my senior year um I think my weight class was 152 I wrestled with the uh 215 pounder cut down from 250 from football season because and just like just practice speed because we were the best wrestlers on the team at the time and so like we wrestled against each other's just had to challenge each other's styles. Um, but yeah, I also ran with the heavyweights as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I think uh, like it's, it's interesting you went into bodybuilding because I know with my kind of my association of it was so sport and performance focused that I never, I never really went down the aesthetics route and didn't, I mean, it sounds dumb now, but didn't really ever associate it until I got more into fitness. And I was like, oh, a lot of people come into this space um, so aesthetically driven and, you know, a lot kind of navigate towards bodybuilding because of that. But coming from more of that, like sports and performance and especially wrestling background, like I don't give a shit about curls. (laughs) It's so true. And it's funny because because that's a realization I didn't make until way later in my like I don't know athletic career we'll call it um, is that I just kind of associated like people with big muscles as being stronger yeah. and it wasn't necessarily until I got into that prep and I was like I was in good shape I was strong uh, I was I was lean but then the as you lead into competition like the dieting it just takes all of the strength out of you. And I realized like, oh fuck, like this isn't about performance. This is about looks. And that's the thing that I, I kind of resented about it and why, why I called it like douchey before is that, you know, that's not, <laughs> eh, that's kind of a fair assessment, but yeah, <laughs> leave it in there. Yeah, we're going to go with it. Um, but it's, it's, it's not about sport. It's not about performance. And that's what I didn't like about it, right? It's training up to it. It's very similar mindset to a lot of sport um, and a lot of competition that I've done before, but the actual show part of it, it's just about how you look. It's not about any sort of performance. So that's kind of what I got out of that experience. It's like, I really like training hard and training for a reason and for a purpose. And I want to compete, but I want it to be about performance and not about literally anything else. 
And I can see, like, I can see that that wrestler mindset working its way into CrossFit and weightlifting because with wrestling, it's it's such a different sport that it is, there's a team around you, but it is very, very individualized that no matter how you, like, it's just going to be a grind. It's a season of just grinding of, like, you never, it's, you know, coming in, like, we coach and about everything like this, talking about good days and bad days. And there's never a good day in wrestling. There's just not as bad of a day. So fucking true, dude. <laughs> so, you know, going, going from something like where, where that's such a, like you have such of that mentality built up over time and just kind of calloused of the mind and how you approach training that I couldn't, I could see the parallels somebody going into CrossFit, somebody going into weightlifting that, that it fits in pretty easy. I'm not in the, not in either of those spaces enough to really see it, but I, I could definitely see why or how a lot of wrestlers post wrestling could navigate into that space just off of those. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's something that I kind of, I knew I was seeking out, but it wasn't in the forefront of like why I was choosing to do the things that I was doing is, is exactly that. It's like, you know, it's wrestling's unique in the way where I, I don't know. I mean, I'd imagine this is how they do it everywhere, but like our season ended with the team districts where you would go through and like, you know, the, the, the way you score points for your team in wrestling is like, however you win a match or by, you know, whatever um, there's like, what a decision, a major decision, a tech fall, and then a pin and they're all ranked like three, four, five mm -hmm. points for your team. And they score it up and whoever, um, whichever team accumulates the most points through the match, so that team wins the wrestling match. So like we would go through and we'd have a team district and a team state. And then after that, there was an individual districts and an individual state. Um, I don't know if that's how it worked. Um, so, you, so like at, at least the section that I was in, because my hometown is, 2500 people um so and it's not far off <laughs> so so like with with ours being in the like a size of schooling that we were um we we had duels every now and again where it was team versus team and maybe like you were lucky if it was three to four teams that you did a duel with um but at least our size we didn't compete in any of the team sports and especially with us being a, a co-op because whenever like we were the same team up until we entered league, um, district, and state, and then we separated. So like my senior year, I did, I was rolling up with a team of five. Oh my god! And and you know it, it's just like it was very it was an interesting experience just because we had two coaches on a team, and my four years of high school. I had a different head coach every single year. The like Fredonia, the rival school that we co-opted with, that was kind of who I considered my coach because it was the same person every single year. But my or my school's coach was different every single year. Um, so yeah, like it. I definitely like think there's a lot of mentality that goes into that and can kind of see how how it navigates over to that, and especially with such long seasons. Um, and so with, I've barely, I'll, I'll put this out, this barely, barely dipped my toe into, um, weightlifting and 
you know, just went through the um, USAW certification, currently going through uh, your weightlift or intro to weightlifting through Prescript and did it for a little bit to learn more and kind of put that application in. Uh, so again, very, very minimal, but that sport is, it's so mentally focused. Like you, it, it creates such frustrating days, like going, going from a mentality of grind to I have like, I have to be so mentally focused because if I'm off, I'm going to miss this every single time and just get frustrated. Yeah, that's so true. And that's kind of, that's what I love about it. It's a love hate kind of thing. Just like, just like wrestling was. I, I appreciate, you know, having that background, having that experience. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's forced hardship, right? Like you don't have to put yourself through that, but you do. And because of that, it's, you know, we live in a world where I live in the fucking Silicon Valley. <laughs> so fucking things aren't that bad. Exactly. Like people here going camping is like getting a hotel in Yosemite. Like <laughs> that's what going camping is. It's like if these people had to start a fire and like find their own food and water, all of them, every single one of them would die. If they, I mean, if they had to experience either of the winners that we have. Yeah, exactly. If people with North Face jackets when it's 55 degrees out. <laughs> so it's like, it's, I, and the point that I'm getting at is that like, this is the world that we live in, right? People don't experience hardship, period. Like, I mean, this is going to like get to a weird place. I'll try not to let's get it. Let's go with it. No, let's get weird. Like anxiety, right? Like think about like I don't know a thousand years ago like people didn't know where their next meal was coming from they couldn't go to the supermarket shit like that like it's anxiety is a condition that is that's comes from being able to be so comfortable all the time that mm-hmm. people hate these problems and they worry about these things that will probably never happen as opposed to having to worry about like real life scenarios like I don't know dying because you can't eat or you know being actually in danger which you know, it's, that's debatable, but there's, you know, situations where people could be in danger and like, you know, violence and stuff like that. But, but it's still, I think the ability to have anxiety like that, it's, it's a luxury, right? Because people don't really experience hardship. And then I don't know where this is going, but to take it back to my original point is that with, with um, having that kind of that choice to make myself uncomfortable for such a long period of time, I feel like has allowed me to be so much more adaptable in other situations uh, because I know what it's like to like to be hungry or to you know feel like shit for four or five months on end or like always be in pain and shit like that is that you know I feel like I appreciate these things much more like I don't know it's it's really cool to be able to go in the gym and hang out with a barbell all the time and like have that luxury in my life versus you know having to go and live in the wild and start fires and do all that shit <laughs> yeah and you know so i'm going to steal this from uh matt vincent but it's something that since we had a conversation that's kind of stuck with me hey he had a little saying that your comfort is shaped like a coffin and so you know so so many people are just so readily and willing to just ease into their comfort and never like 
never come in to challenge or never push themselves into uncomfortable situations to force growth because it's hard. And, and I think with that, getting exposure early on is so important because it, in, it instills that, that willingness to engage in, in challenge, engage in uncomfortable settings more because you've, you've known it. It's not something foreign to you. And, and you know, it, it can be something like, like going into it, like there is nothing more challenging than having to be in a singlet and stand in a circle across from somebody else. And it's like, you're going to have to do something about this or you're going to get your ass beat. <laughs> and I fucking love it. I love the mentality. And, and uh, my grandfather, it's like, I come from, you know, a bloodline of wrestlers. My grandfather wrestled, my, my dad wrestled. Um, but my grandfather would always come to my meets and he was in the army. So I'm, I'm not actually sure if he's killed people or not. But before every match, he up to me and he would like put his head close to my ear and he'd say, kill or be killed. And they just like walk away. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> I'm not going to die today. <laughs> exactly. But like, I, don't, I mean, that, that'll always stick with me. But that's like a lot of times in competition, I've, I used to take this shit a lot more seriously than I do now. Um, I mean, not that I don't take it seriously now. I just have a different mindset to it. But it was, you know, that was the mindset. It was like, you're a fucking high school kid. If you're a wrestler, like the only thing that exists to you in life is, is like that six minutes at a time, right? And, and that's all that matters. Like if, if you win, you're on top of the world. If you lose, like you're like fucked. Like your mentality is like, you lose confidence. You're pissed off. Like I used to see people throwing tantrums and shit, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's just putting yourself in these scenarios where it's really fucking uncomfortable. And, you know, even in the gym, you, you learn a lot about yourself or you learn a lot about people in those scenarios. Oh, very much so. And, and yeah, I think it is a huge confidence builder and it's a confidence builder in that you've had to, you've got exposed to your weaknesses and have built confidence through your strengths that like there, there is a confidence in how you can handle yourself and you're not incompetent. It's, I'm generalizing here, but more so after the fact, I think it, it was always easier to identify who was a wrestler by like their attitudes, by if something started popping off, wrestlers were never the ones that were talking. Like you're going to get two type of wrestlers. There's either the one setting down, waiting for something to come to them, or the one that's just standing there. Yeah. Just like little split stance, just kind of. And, and all wrestlers like just have the same hand position. It, anytime in football, I could always tell which ones were the wrestlers just by how they like held their hands. I was like, that's a fucking wrestler. Yeah, that's so true. The little T-Rex arms. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's a big reason I got into um, weightlifting, weight training, all that stuff too, is just because just it, it gives you a lot of confidence. I mean, I'm sure there were like insecurities or whatever that led me, led me uh, to it, but like um, in strength training, even today, like I have a certain level of confidence within myself knowing you know, my, my wrestling background, I've done jujitsu. Um, I've been strength training my entire life that, you know, even if I were to be in a, a quote unquote, uh, modern day dangerous scenario, I'm 
pretty sure that I can handle myself in most situations. Cause I'm not, the thing too is, is I'm not a physically imposing human. I'm like five, five on a good day, like 175 pounds soaking wet, but I've, you know, I've put to sleep 250 pound dudes. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. And <laughs> I'm thinking some funny shit, but, um, but it's just the confidence that, that you can have in doing that just allows you to be kind of like you said, the, those wrestlers that, you know, calm, cool, composed when shit goes down. Cause if that shit comes to you, you know how to handle it. Yeah. And with the, like having that confidence, having that assurance, it, it's because you've been exposed to a lot of people that don't know in all dynamics of life, how to move their body through space and time. And whenever you want to put that into a physical altercation situation, it's a disaster for a lot of people. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's funny. When there's people that like, you can tell, like if you've been to fight, you can tell if the person that is starting a fight, I mean, hopefully it's not you starting the fight, but you can tell that person's been to fight before because like some people just get in that situation like, oh shit, what do I do now? I thought he was gonna if I yelled loud enough I thought he was gonna leave (laughs) yeah right when someone doesn't back down and they're like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) and and like you know to to kind of take that because I think part of it's circling around the like the mindset and mentality that goes into that and just that transference of confidence through exposure or even like trust and reassurance in yourself of being able to apply that to training um, but also being able to apply that to your athletes Um, because I think I think just through the hardships of a sport like wrestling you have to develop that it's it's not something necessarily that like somebody sets down and teaches you but but what are uh how is that transition going from, because I mean, you, you still compete, you're still very, very active. How is the transition going from that and then playing that coach's role, but also looking at that coach's role through some people that have had those experiences? Because like, I would, I would think a couple sports that might filter into weightlifting would be like gymnastics, um, CrossFit, obviously, maybe wrestling in all of those sports probably have some of that built in, but you'll have other people coming into it that have never necessarily had to develop that mindset. And so you as a coach, how do you, how do you navigate trying to develop that mindset or when it's appropriate and like being able to identify people that already have it? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate. I'll say that. And I do appreciate so much when I find people that do have that mindset already because it's, it's just kind of like this mutual understanding, like, we good? All right, cool, we're good. Um, and like, they just get it. They know how to push. They know, you know, there's like this unspoken understanding of, you know, we have this goal, we're going to accomplish this goal, no matter what. When there's people that don't necessarily have that athletic background or, or you know, haven't been in scenarios like that before, it's, it takes a lot of learning. And I guess emotional intelligence might be the word to be able to determine what are going to be the things that kind of make them tip, right? Because some people, you, you have to develop your, your sympathy or your empathy or, or whatever the fucking iffy is. <laughs> <That> is <laughs> but, uh, but I've worked with 
you know, the whole, the whole range of people I've worked with, you know, people that were track athletes actually make sprinters, make really good weightlifters. And they're just these gifted athletes that are just, you know, this, there's so much potential, but a lot of times it's like the gifted athlete that, that things have just kind of come easy for. And then when they have to start working for it, they get discouraged. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of, you kind of have to meet them there and kind of figure out how to navigate that so that they can keep their mindset in so that they can keep progressing. Or the other side of it, there's the, the people that have just never touched a barbell in their life. They're probably a little bit older and they wanted to get into fitness and somehow they trickled down probably from CrossFit and they found weightlifting. And they're not really going to know if you've gone your entire life without actually being in these uncomfortable scenarios or being in like a sports scenario they're not going to have that full understanding of, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to be in pain. You know, it's, if you say, cause, cause I have this assumption about me because of my experiences that if you say you want to accomplish this, I'll get you to accomplish this one way or another, as long as you stick with me. And some people might not be willing to endure the process to do that. Even if it is, you know, well thought out and logical and safe, it's, it takes hard work. And sometimes people don't understand that hard work isn't fucking easy. Well, and I think there there's a pretty common misunderstanding that performance and health are an inverse relationship. They are not the same thing. And in the higher you go, the more they run away from each other. Yep. That's like I didn't <clears throat> football. I've I always present it like this. I've never had a diagnosed concussion. <laughs> but Football wasn't healthy for my brain, but, but I never, you know, I, I never went into any of those situations, even at younger ages where I'm like, oh, this is healthy. It was like, mm, there's a cost here. Exactly. And, and yeah, like people that, people that haven't had to experience that cost, I could see how that could present some challenges, but also for you as a coach that like it, it makes it's made you a better coach having so many different athletes and having to look at and just how, how you coach, because I, I can almost guarantee, tell me if I'm wrong, but I guarantee the ones that, that get it right away. And like the wrestlers, the gymnasts that have been through that, your coaching for them is you don't have to do the whole compliment sandwich or any of that shit. It's if they do something right, good or thumbs up get back to work if they do something wrong it's i'm probably going to yell at you or you already know what you did like i don't have to like we look at each other like i know i'm an idiot i'll fix it and that's funny is that it a lot of times with weightlifting because you're so you're in the moment you're in your body you're so analytical as you're going through training it's people know this shit whether i say it or not like you, you can lie to yourself, but you're, you're not going to get very far that way. Like they know if something went wrong. So a lot of times it's, it's my better athletes are ones that I have to say, like, it's fucking fine. Just keep going. Like stop overanalyzing it. Cause that's, I say probably one of the fine, one of the more common things that I'll see um, with, you know, not the highest level athletes because the highest level athletes are going to have that understanding, but kind of that, you know, that higher tier athlete is they're, they're going to be overcritical and they're, they're going to be too in their head. And that's something I think weightlifting 
as a sport is notorious for it is like overly emotional lifters. It's mm-hmm. this sport. I think it's the two things that are most important are, are, I mean, the three things, I guess, strength, technique, and fucking mindset is and mindset boils down to confidence. Um, if a lifter is perfectly, you know, if they're strong enough, if they have the technique to support a weight, then I've seen more misses because of lack of confidence than I have any of those other two things. Oh, for sure. But you're also speaking to a sport that has classical music playing. And whenever people get it, they do a nice little golf clap. Like it's, again, very limited experience. But in the times that I've seen it, one where that lack of confidence or um, their mental state is taking over their ability to be able to accomplish the lift is on the catch. Like so many times, like anybody that's misses it with like not willing to dive under the bar to catch it again they yeah strength position those matter but a lot of times whenever i see it it's it's there it's just that lack of confidence to commit yeah and with weightlifting you're talking about like fractions of a second like from the bar the time that bar leaves the floor to the time that you're going to lock it out in your receiving position say for a snatch it's you know less than a second probably right? You have a lot of decisions to make in that fraction of a second. And if any one of those is, you know, if it's not an an automatic process, if it's not like you're fully committed, no matter what happens, you're doing this lift. If there's any little bit of hesitation at any step in that process, you're not going to make the lift hands down. There's, there's no way, especially at a maximal attempt, if you're in a neat 90, you know, mid to mid 90% and above, there's no way you're going to make an attempt at that weight if you're not fully committed from before that bar leaves the ground to the second it's locked out overhead. Yeah, and it's interesting because you you can see like yeah. in in people's expression in like just their eyes if it's there or not. Yeah, yeah. and it's when you see an actual competition like the Olympic start. I don't know when this will go out, but but this weekend, like the 24th, I think it's the first day of Come out Tuesday. Next Tuesday? Yeah. Right. You will have seen some weightlifting in the Olympics at this point. And it's at the highest levels. It's such a boring thing to watch <laughs> a full weightlifting <laughs> session because there's usually like 10 or 12 people in a session and there's like three people that are competing for the medals. But if you understand what's going on, it can be so interesting to watch these people actually compete. Like at the, you know, especially at the American level, like if you go to like an, a local meet or the American Open, there's going to be like a couple people that are just there lifting and then one person that's really fucking good and they probably like out total second place on like 40 kilos. But when you see people actually competing with a high level of skill, a high level of motivation and weightlifting, it's pretty fucking cool because you know these people have the capability and they're literally pushing the limits of what a human body can do. And then you know, probably exceeding that answering to this, this, uh, demand, which is losing a gold medal at the Olympics, you know, not, not winning a gold medal, but losing the ability to have a gold medal. So that's really fucking cool to see. And you can see the fire and the motivation that goes into that, um, when people are lifting, but, but yeah, like you said, you can absolutely tell if someone's like super on, like someone misses their opener and then they come out and they like miss their second attempt. You can, that's where you can really tell who a person is. Like if they're there to compete or if they're just going to get in their head and like get all pouty about it. 
how um, with the Olympics coming up, <clears throat> is there anyone that you're excited to see and what teams are team wise? I mean, we're, we're biased, but uh, team wise, how do you think uh, USA is going to do? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the, the lighter women's. I don't know how they stack up. I am really excited to see uh, Jordan Delacruz. I think she's a 49 kilo lifter. Um, she's like super young and she's been, she's been crushing it lately. Um, so I'd like to see her lift. Um, and then other than that, it's just, it's just CJ, CJ Cummings, um, 73 kilo lifter. Uh, he's the only one as far as I know, maybe Sarah Robles um, is a heavyweight, but I think he's the only one that's actually in the running for, for the medals. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'll be a session that I'll be definitely excited to see with 73 kilo men. Um, you know my love for, for Shi Zayang. Um, <laughs> he, he's probably my favorite weightlifter um, from the Chinese national team. So they'll be in the same session. Um, she, I believe he just clean and jerked one, 199 kilos. Um, I like the Asian nationals a couple months ago. Um, CJ's in the ballpark, but uh, last week, uh, Team USA posted a video of him doing a front squat and a jerk at 200 kilos. Um, so he'll be, he'll be in the running. He doesn't snatch anywhere near as much as she will, but that'll be one that I'm definitely looking forward to watching. And the, the whole Chinese team, um, they're just amazing to watch. Because Russia is not in this one, is that correct or is it is it individuals that are allowed in i think for the rest of time <laughs> um but but i know um just from an outsider perspective seeing it that uh usa seems like they're on a climb of as far as performance getting better and better but what was for a long time what was like such the discrepancy because i mean very, very, very typical that the United States does well in the Olympics. Um, but I know that for a while, weightlifting had been a sport that USA had struggled in. So why, do you know why that is? Or do you have thoughts or opinions on and like how that was changed or how it's being improved? Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not sure why, but weightlifting as a sport was it's something I didn't even learn about until I was, I don't know, maybe like 20, 20 or a little older. Like I had done cleans. I never knew what a snatch was until like 2012, I think was the first time I snatched the barbell. Um, so I think a lot of it was just not many people knew about it. And I was mm -hmm. like, I, I was in the gym. Like, it's, it's not like I was just this random person that didn't really know about it as a sport. It's like, I mean, I did grow up in a small town, granted, had I grown up somewhere where it was, you know, a, a more dense population, maybe, but I'm sure that not many people really knew about it as a sporting option. Um, I think that's where CrossFit kind of came along and definitely helped the sports. It exposed mm -hmm. a lot of people to it and gave um, weightlifting gyms more of a home because just in terms of a business standpoint, it's even now with as popular as it is, it's, it's not very profitable to run a weightlifting gym. A lot of the weightlifting gyms that I know have the weightlifting is not where they make their money from. It's from like general fitness classes or like, like health strength is a perfect example. They have like 
I don't know, like 20 people that weightlift in that gym. Mm -hmm. Around here, gym membership's like $200. So you're making four grand a month and your rent on your buildings probably, I don't know, six grand a month. Like it's, it's just not profitable. But he has, Dave has like the online programs and things like that. And even when Catalyst, uh, Greg Everett, when he was out here, he had to do a lot of online stuff to support his gym before he moved up to Oregon. And now his gym is in his garage. And these are, we're talking some of the best weightlifting gyms in the country. Um, like, I mean, uh, Wes Kitts from Cal Strength, he's going to the Olympics. Um, I don't think Greg has anyone, but he worked with Maddie Rogers for, for a while. Um, so there's like, uh, actually Amy's working with, with Maddie now. Yeah. So there's two Olympians that are working, that were working out out of those two gyms and their weightlifting isn't enough to support their, their business. So, I mean, that probably speaks to it a little bit too, is that it's still, it's, it's a very obscure sport and it takes someone that's really motivated and it's very kind of subset of a subset of people. It's mm -hmm. like, you have your gym goers. Uh, maybe the subset is like people that are strength sport athletes. And then under that is, is weightlifting versus powerlifting. And the barrier entry to weightlifting is going to be way higher than powerlifting just because it, it, it requires so much more. It's, it's, it's a very self-selecting sport in, in the way where you need to be very mobile. You need to have really good range of motion, stability, overhead stability, uh, which are just not things. They're not things that come easy for a lot of people. So I think that makes it even more obscure. So it's, you know, there's just a bunch of things that you can just, that are everything against it. Why many people do this sport? Um, but CrossFit, kind of what I was saying is CrossFit gave it a home. A lot of barbell clubs now reside inside of a CrossFit gym where they rent out the gym for, you know, two hours, Monday through Friday. And that gives them a place where they can, you know, sustain a business where they could run that for that niche of people, but it's not going to be the majority. So I think that's one of the things that, that definitely helped it. And then I think another thing that um, probably hurt it over the past couple of years is Americans weren't using as much drugs as other countries. <laughs> that's why they weren't winning medal. <laughs> that could have played a role. Yeah, I don't know. They're doing all the retroactive drug testing now. So, so maybe like there'll be like six down the list and everyone will get popped and we'll get some, some retroactive medals over here. Uh, that's, it's, it's so interesting with that, like that they're doing it retroactively because it's like, what's, what's the benefit of this? <laughs> like, can we all just agree that like, we're good from here on this this is the standard but like we're not going to look too deep into our past because we don't want to know exactly like the, the whole pool the the whole pool we're on drugs oh okay so nobody gets a medal <laughs> yeah so what do we do now i know it's got to be political at that point especially when it's like recto retroactive you know i'm sure they don't have samples from everyone in that session <laughs> just the people on the podium so like okay what now but i mean at that point it's like they're going through the process everyone has to go through the process i'm sure some of the governments are supporting more doping than others but you know it's <laughs> a level playing field we'll say is that you know if they're doing it and they're passing their tests eh, everyone yeah. could be doing that they're just playing the game better who the fuck knows yeah, here's the test. If you pass it, we don't want to know more. Because what was it with um, with the whole Lance Armstrong thing? Wasn't it like they'd have to go to the 15th or 18th person down? 
to be able to like right. at that sport or at that point it's the whole sport like just <laughs> right. be like hey let's maybe we we shouldn't ask or shouldn't look too deep into this exactly exactly like human performance there's things that are categorized as performance enhancing drugs and you have these sports designed around human performance um you know even if the guys at the top don't take them people are going to take them and then they're going to rise to the top it's like those things if you had a chance to win an olympic medal by taking this drug or never be in that position you'd probably take that drug and then deal with the consequences right well and like it i mean i know uh i don't want to take up too much of your time because i know you got to pop off at some point but but like if if we're looking at that as far as the banned substance list and just the approach to some of it can be ridiculous because like you can you can only have a certain level of caffeine which half of us on these prescript calls wouldn't be able to pass those and then by 8 a.m and then uh what they're like certain levels of like tylenol and advil are on there and like if if you want to get into i mean we don't have to get into it but like even testosterone levels like the the fact that they put a range of testosterone instead of like that is something that has to be so individualized instead of like try to fit into this you know arbitrary range that people should be in instead of like okay how about whenever you enter the pool we'll get your levels don't go past like you can't be past this percent that's so true because i mean wasn't it a thing like i think it was a a female runner for was it america that they got banned from the olympics because their testosterone was too high and it's at some point especially with the way like uh hormone therapy and technology is going it's people are going to be just you know you could realistically find someone that is apt to excel at sport and then genetically engineer them to be an olympic champion per the guidelines that the olympics set right because at some point like even barring uh like drugs or or any any performance enhancing whatever uh, the people that are apt to excel at these things they're going to be outliers right so so this woman that they banned from the olympics maybe the reason that she is so gifted at running is because she has just naturally higher testosterone, right? There's, there's going to be things about these people that are different from the norm that are going to allow them to excel. Like what if, what if um, in swimming, I said, your arms can only be 64 inches long. Like it's a similar thing, right? Gonna start that, chopping fingers. What's that? So going to start chopping fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like it's, you're playing with biology here and there's you know those are two like obscure examples but they're not very different in terms of the logic that goes into those right yeah i mean it's it's you know a hop skip and jump away to get to that that it's not too far off and that's why with some of those like again i anytime you standardize something that it's to a low level that you're setting the bar that everybody has to go into whereas like if you want to be honest about it like individualize it if you're going to do drug testing like if if you want to be actually honest about it like you want the best do you want the best performance or do you want the best drug tested performance or the best drug free performance because all of those are different but but yeah because like 
uh, in powerlifting, like Ed Cones, <laughs> Ed Cones' hands. Everyone talks about it, like that they're huge. Tell me that doesn't make gripping a bar easier. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like yeah, powerlifting is a perfect example. Like, do you ever see like the what's what's the drug tested? Is it USAPL? I think so. Yeah. I don't even know. But there's like that, you know, that's the issue is there's 37 different powerlifting federations and some of them test for drugs, some of them don't, um, whatever. But, but that's the thing, like, is no one cares about the guy winning the drug free, uh, competition, setting the drug free world record. Cause the guy that's on drugs is still lifting more weight and that's cooler to watch. Well, I mean, prime example, strongman. tell, tell me how Thor what is he six eight six nine four forty the last time he won it that human and us are not the same like we're different species no no absolutely not i don't know dude him and uh he's looking pretty lean getting ready for that oh him and uh eddie hall yeah he might be down to like one eight how i do not like it's all i've realized it's always been a thing with like celebrity boxing and shit but like how did this how did this pop back up that like this became a thing where like now strength people decide to go fight each other in a boxing ring and apparently YouTubers can now just <laughs> fight yeah. random ass athletes. You know, it all comes back to one thing is how many people are going to watch and how much money is actually going to generate. <laughs> I think that's literally all that it is. But that's like an interesting card with um, with Thor and Eddie because it's it's like them, Steffi Collins on that card. And there's some like CrossFit Games athletes. It's going to be like, I mean, they're definitely targeting an audience there. Well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, with like, I don't know, that that type of an event has a lot of a lot of eyes on it right now probably a lot of money on it and like it's burning very bright i don't know how long it'll burn but like to each their own if if you want to take advantage of that while it's going do it i'll probably watch i mean to me it's fucking terrifying that those two dudes are gonna like throw punches at each other's faces <laughs> because like I mean, I get that their their bone structure and their anatomy is a little more resilient than the average person, but that's a lot of fucking force coming at your dome. So there's, I feel like there's a real potential for like serious injury in a boxing match like that. It'll be fun either way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure a death is like good for sales. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> is that should I not say that? Is that bad? Oh no, it's great. <laughs> how are we doing on time for you what was that how are we doing on time for you good yeah i got up to 45 okay perfect um so yeah, yeah it's i don't know how we <laughs> got to this point but the beauty of conversation it just you just kind of <laughs> let your boat sail out how it will <laughs> We ended up here. Was that it? Huh? <laughs> I'm just enjoying the music from the gym. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, man. Oh, no. It's great. I don't mind at all. Um, I do want to point out to anybody that's listening to this since you can't see it, uh, 
Jordan is fully uh, rocking the lawn chair. It's like an original prescript days with you and Shallow back in the office. That's right. It's like it's my security blanket. I can't do a podcast unless I'm in a lawn chair. And I'm actually surprised they're not picking up the garbage right now because it was always like garbage day when Shallow and I would do podcasts in the office. Anytime you sit in it, you just get flashbacks and memories. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> So yeah, we got we have a little bit more time just um, since we've talked quite a bit about um, performance of it since we've focused a lot on uh, weightlifting as far as like I know this can be a long discussion so again be mindful of the time that it's going to take um, but with with weightlifting it's such a like it's such a dynamic sport in what I would assume the variables that you as a coach have to try to control and try to account for that it's the sport itself. It's the biomechanics of it. It's the psychology behind it. There, there's so many different factors that you're trying to evaluate for. So looking at, looking at like the programming and recovery ratio of that how are you how do you balance that or how do you approach that as a coach because I find my find myself it's to a lesser degree but more and more of the conversations I'm kind of propositioning for clients that I'm talking to and whenever I'm training my trainers is starting like ultimately looking at their programs their workouts their training as a stressor to their life that a lot of them will come in and um, especially here at the university um, general population, they're coming for health reasons. And like, they want to do this thing because it's healthy. And it's like, well, it's not like, this is, this is another stressor we have to look at. And it's just figuring out like how to manage all the stresses to figure out what's best for you and what you're able to stick to and what's going to be beneficial long-term. And so I look at something with um, like weightlifting and just think about like the complexities that can go into that of, of trying to manage the programming of the dynamics of that sport, because it is, it is explosive. It is power, it's strength, but it's also, it's the psychology of it. And it's, it's all predicated on technique. Yeah, definitely. I think a big part of that is just um, knowing the population that you're dealing with or knowing the specific habits that you're dealing with. Um, so I work, I mean, I, I'm two blocks away from Santa Clara University, so I do get a lot of like, college students in here. Uh, I work with a lot of people for you know, people that have specific training goals. Um, and then people that just kind of want to learn it just to learn it for fun. So it's knowing the person, um, knowing what their goals are and then the recovery kind of fits into that that puzzle of how to get right it's you know i have people that are that i can expect are going to spend the whole weekend like drunk as fuck and they're going to come in they're going to look like a pile of ass so it's you know i need to account for that in in how i'm or what i'm expecting from them on that day um because you can you know depending on who you're with some people you can talk to about these things you can, you can and let them know like hey if you want to do this or if this is truly your goal 
then you have to account for, you know, all these other life stressors or everything else is going to affect your performance. And people that, you know, have performance-based goals, they're going to understand that and they're going to respond to that. But if someone that wants to go out and spend the weekend, you know, drinking and staying out till like three in the morning, then they're going to have a little bit different perspective on the situation. So I think part of it is knowing the athletes that you can expect things from and then knowing the athletes that you need to expect what they're going to do outside of the gym and account for them. So that's definitely, that definitely plays a role depending on your population. And in each of those, it's kind of a subset of things. It's like, what do they do for work? Uh, are they a student? Do they have midterm? I have this, um, <laughs> if anyone follows me on this team, they know who Kelly DeWalk is. He's, uh, you know, he's a national level university lifter, but <clears throat> like it took forever for me to like get him to get his diet in check. So he follows macros. Great. All right, your diet's in check. But the big thing, there would always be these huge like um, peaks and valleys in his training because every time he would have midterms, he, he was the type of student that would just stay up for like a week straight, not sleep, come in, try and train, get injured, like all this, all this like cascade of things came with his midterm. So I would know like, hey, how's school going? Oh, you got midterms next week. Let's do a D-Lo. You know, we're just, we're not even going to touch a barbell this week. And then even the week after. So like finding out the things that are going to affect performance in the gym and then being able to account for those goes a long way. Even if it's not, you're not fully transparent with those people about it. Because sometimes people could get defensive. Like, oh no, I'll be fine. I can do it. I'll push through. Okay, I'm sure you can. We're still not going to do it. Um, so being able to identify those things and, and I mean, it's really, I don't work with a huge group of people. So I'm able to have these conversations and really individualize, um, you know, person to person, even if they're all on a similar program, I can help them individualize what they should be striving to get out of it. And I think a lot of that too comes back to setting expectations. Um, so letting them know what I expect out of them, what, what they should expect out of this training block, uh, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accomplish by, then you can kind of refer back to those points when, you know, some of these things might come up. So that you're like, hey, remember, this is going to be our high volume training block. So we can't be training at such high intensity or we're going to start to fail or, you know, whatever the situation might be. Um, if you kind of have an expectation set around um, that program or that training period uh, as you go into it, it's a lot easier to um, kind of guide people in the right direction when the terms of like And I think with that, you bring up such a great point of like setting expectations early on and having that conversation. So as, as you and your athlete or you and your client going in together, like you have that clear expectation, you have those clear goals set and like you've already established that relationship or that dynamic of communication based on how those expectations were communicated back and forth. And then from that, it's also, I think something very important is talking about managing expectations of your clients. Cause so I think it, at, it's very, very easy at a younger coach or training level to have high expectations that I put so much time and energy into this program, they're going to follow it. And this, this is perfect where 
where it's more so of like being realistic with your expectations of like, uh, he like, he likes it. He doesn't love it. So it's like, okay, like I'm more, I'm more committed about his success than he is, but having that realization and not having that expectation that like you are going to have clients and athletes that you care more about their success than they do even if you can see the potential of what their success can be, you're either, if you just continue your expectations and they're not meeting it, you're just going to continue to be frustrated and be angry. Or if you can have that honest conversation with yourself of, okay, I need to readjust my expectations because they're never meeting it. So I can either just be pissed off every single week, or I can just relook at it and be like, okay, maybe I'm expecting too much of where they are right now maybe we can get them to those higher expectations at some point, but right now let's try to meet them where they are. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. That's, that's definitely my coaching style. It's like, I'm just going to expect more out of you and, and, you know, be okay with me being a little bit disappointed, <laughs> positive reinforcement. But, but I think that's, I mean, and that's, you can feel that when you walk into different gym atmospheres is you can almost feel the expectation of that place. Like, like I, I mentioned Cal Strength, I mentioned Catalyst. Um, I've, I've trained at both of those gyms. And when you, when you get in there, there's, there's kind of a, there's something in the air where you feel it's like, okay, this is the way things go here. This is how I need to act. This is, you know, the gym etiquette or like all these things. Um, I, I think that's something that, you know, coaches or gym owners um, can be really effective in doing is kind of setting the tone or setting the atmosphere of the, the space that they're in. And then that kind of, it, it almost kind of breeds the results is that, you know, you're expected to act this way or like I, and it's never something that I instructed, but, but mm-hmm. when I coach weightlifting, I'll have, you know, we have a pretty small weightlifting room here. We, we usually limit it to six bars, but there might be shared bars. Like it could be 12 people lifting weights and 12. Yeah. Right around 12 is, is probably right on that. But as that's happening, it's always one person lifting at a time. It's and it's kind of a mutual respect and it's kind of this collaborative effort that everyone kind of lifts everyone else up. And they they kind of lean on each other and depend on each other. And you know, if I'm not there, they'll get feedback from from everyone else. And it's it's just kind of this atmosphere where there's this expectation where there, there's an order to this. Um, the goal is not to you know just put as much weight on the bar and, and try and lift it. The goal is to get better at the thing we're trying to get better at. So when you set expectations around that, it's, it kind of, it, it speaks for itself and it, it kind of implies a lot of things that you don't have to waste your breath on. Yeah. And I think with that, it setting that expectation of the environment's huge. And it starts with you as the coach that you, you demonstrate those qualities that you expect or that you want people to inherit that you're you set that standard and others look to that standard to try to recreate it or how they should operate because we like at at strength guild it's very very similar where um if if somebody is lifting heavy the music goes up everybody kind of stops focus like can cheer support whatever like that and then as soon as the lift's done music goes down, everybody goes back to their station. And that's something I appreciated going to elite FTS and training with them is it's the exact same thing. And I was like, Oh, I know how to operate in this space. Perfect. Let me get over here and try to help out spotting and whatnot. And um, you know, it's 
once you've been in those environments and you're able to recognize it, it's, it's something that can be very, very comforting, but it all starts with the coach of they kind of embody what that should look like. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's contagious too. It's, it's once that tone has been set, it's, that's almost what people expect. They come there for that. And that's, it's a really cool thing when the place kind of, you know, gets a life of its own. Yeah. All right. Looks like we're uh, right at time. So um, kind of call it there. I appreciate you coming on. It was uh, great getting to talk about weightlifting with you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you for having me on. Uh, anytime. anytime. You're welcome back anytime, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, me too. We'll have to have some more uh, off-recorded chats. 